Marketing for Library Marketers podcast, where we will engage in informal conversations with fellow library marketers, industry and social media experts, and other marketing professionals on the topics of marketing, communications, public relations, outreach, and more in libraries of all kinds. Whether you are a librarian, a clerk, assistant, or in some other role, and a team of many or just one, join us as we share tips, inspiration, industry news, success stories, lessons learned, strategies, tools to use, secrets, and more. I'm your host, Katie Rothley, fellow library marketer, librarian, and artist. Thank you for joining us. Let's get started. Um, Well, I want to welcome you to my fledgling podcast on library marketing. And uh, thank you so much for agreeing to to be on this today with with me and answer all of my questions. Absolutely. We host a podcast here, too. So I understand not on library marketing, but I understand. I, you know what, I, um, one of the previous libraries that I used to work for, I wanted to start a a podcast for that. And we had purchased all the equipment. We had gotten permission from the friends and, uh, we were going to give them shout outs. And then I ended up, um, getting a a job specifically for library marketing. So it it was like a step up for me, but, um, but I was all excited about it. And then I left. Of course. That's always what happens. Well, that's what happens when you have innovative ideas. You move on to the next, right? For sure. For sure. So um, would you mind introducing yourself for our audience? Absolutely. Um, I am Megan McCorkle. I am the Chief of Marketing Communications and Strategy at the Enoch Pratt Free Library in Baltimore. And thank you again for um, joining me. I'm so excited to have you on and to talk with you. Um, So yeah, I'm not really sure where to start. I know I'm, I I did meet you at the Idea Exchange and your presentation was absolutely awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So um, I, I guess, would you mind talking a little bit about your marketing strategy and any kind of challenges that you've been facing? Sure. I mean, I'll tell you a little bit about my background. My background is not in marketing. <laughs> my background is <laughs> in uh, journalism, actually. So I was a television news reporter for 16 years before I came to the Pratt Library. So kind of my number one was storytelling. Um, So then about five and a half years ago, I just needed a career change. I had, you know, Mm. told all the stories that I wanted to tell um, (laughs) within that journalism field. And so I was just looking for something and I have always loved libraries and I was actually involved with the Pratt Library um, on the philanthropy side with our um, Pratt Contemporaries, which is our young professionals group. Mm. Um, And it just so happened the communications director role opened here at the Pratt and I kind of randomly applied to it and then all of the dominoes fell in line the right way. And I, uh, I wound up starting here at the Pratt five and a half years ago. Um, At the time, we did not have a CEO. Our CEO, Dr. Carla Hayden, had gone on to be the Librarian of Congress. Yes. (laughs) There was no CEO in place, and the communications director had been gone for six months. So it was kind of funny when I got here, there wasn't really anyone to tell me, like, what I was supposed to be doing (laughs) in this field. 
Um, so we just kind of made it our own. I think in a lot of ways, it was a really good thing. Um, but six months later at the Pratt, they hired um, Heidi Daniel, who is our current CEO. And he's, she's been here five years. We're exactly six months apart in our start date. Um, <laughs> and she was always really, uh, and she and I, you know, I had like sort of got my legs underneath me in that first six months. Um, and so she and I just kept talking about how the library does such amazing things, but so many people don't know what we do as an organization. And so yes. talked a lot about how we can do a lot of great things, but if nobody knows about them, it doesn't necessarily matter. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we talked about building a marketing department. Um, so it used to just be the communications department and it was literally me and half of one other employee. So um, mm. she did social media for us. And then she was halftime in programming. So I used to joke that in a fire, I only had to save half of her. Um, she <laughs> only, I was half responsible. So, um, but Heidi and I talked about the importance of having a marketing department and how much we needed that. So we, um, she moved some departments around. So our print and design studio came into the new marketing and communications department. Um, and then we hired some new positions and we've continued to grow um, over the past five years. So we are now, I, I feel bad saying it because I feel very spoiled, but our marketing <laughs> and communications department, I have eight staff members that work with me in the marketing and communications department, which I know for library marketing is enormous. Um, but we're we're just very lucky in that in that respect. And I'm just really proud of that team because we kind of all figured it out together. Um, when we first came in, the Pratt hadn't done a brand marketing campaign in at least a decade. So we launched the Pratt's first brand marketing campaign. Um, the Pratt at the time, when I first came in, we launched a mobile job center. I remember my first day, they were like, hey, we're going to launch a mobile job center in three, like in a few weeks. Can you figure out how to how to do the press for that? Yeah. So we've done that. We've gone find free. We've done a major renovation on our central library and reopened. We've survived COVID. We've gone through, we've revamped our summer programs. So, um, so it's been a huge change. I think, um, we've also like gutted the magazine. We used to put out a newsletter, a 16 page newsletter. Now we put out a 24 page magazine every other month. Um, so we've made a lot of changes at, that I think have done a great job building the awareness of the library. Now, for anyone who's doing library marketing, I always say like, we don't sell pizzas. So I can't tell you how many pizzas I sold today. Um, so it's very <laughs> difficult to quantify what success looks like in a campaign. So we have really spent the past five years finding the right data sources and figuring out what success means for us. That was a very long answer to a question. Sorry. No, that's totally fine. I actually, one of my questions coming from what you just said was, um, do you have somebody that devotes part of their time doing any kind of data analytics to see if you've had increased door counts, increased library card signups, increased attendance at programs or circulation? So we have a number of people that do do that. Um, we brought in um, Orange Boy, the Savannah platform, um, I want to say three years ago, three to four years ago. Um, and, you know, for the first little while, you're just trying to get all of your data uploaded in it and what data is meaningful to you. So we did get door count 
put in that um, platform. So it's great because literally with Orange Boy, I can click and just see my week to week data and see how we're doing. And then I can break it down even further. So right now I'm doing a back to school campaign, right? Like a back to school postcard campaign. But I like everybody else in library marketing don't have millions of dollars to spend on really anything. Mm -hmm. Um, So (laughs) we do very targeted campaigns. So we take a look at our branches. We say, what are our branches where we're not seeing the amount of families that we know live in that neighborhood. And then we will send a series of postcards just to those census tracts right around those branches, specifically to households that we believe have families with kids of a certain age. We also do digital marketing. So we'll geofence those areas and send mm. digital marketing that looks like our postcards. And then we'll send emails that look like the postcards to our lapsed like library card holders that were within that category of families. And we'll do that in a really concentrated period of time for like a month. And then I will take a look at our new card holders for those specific branches. So it's not an exact science, but I can kind Mm -hmm. of deduce that if I'm doing that within this time period and I see a spike in new card holders, I can attribute some of that to the marketing campaign we did. Yeah, that sounds like it, uh, it helps inform, you know, your efforts in marketing, uh, especially for your whole team and who does what and how much effort you put into it. It really does. And I think we are, um, because when Orange Boy came in, it was, um, I was very much championing it. I think people started looking at it as kind of a marketing platform, whereas like it really does so much more. So now we have, we do have someone who does sort of overall library data, but now we're going to have someone in neighborhood library services, our branches. We have 21 mm-hmm. branches who is going to focus on data for those individual branches. Um, So it'll be like setting goals for those branches. And honestly, I'm sure tons of cities are like this, but Baltimore is a city of neighborhoods and a branch that's two miles away from another branch may have a completely different mission and serve a completely different demographic and group. And so their goals, those two libraries, the goals shouldn't be the same. Right. Um, You're making the goals the same. You're setting at least one of them up to fail because maybe circulation isn't ever going to be the number one thing in that library, but maybe door count will. Um, So we're taking a look at how do we set goals in those individual branches? How do we give them the data person who could be their resource to let branches know if they're hitting those goals and help set those goals year to year. So we're kind of just at the very beginning of that. I know there are a lot of people who are doing it incredibly well and very sophisticated. Um, So we're excited to kind of get on that train and have a person who's really dedicated to that because we know that our branch staff are incredibly busy serving the public. Oh, yes. Sit there and analyze data all day. So if they have someone who monthly can give them a paper dashboard of their data and say, here is where you are going to goal. Um, we just think that that could be a lot more effective for our branches. Oh, so um, so one of your staff is compiling the information and uh, sending like a printed piece of paper with all of the results on it, or do they give like a report? We're still working on what that's going to look like. And actually this the data position is working under our neighborhood library services and public Mm. services. So they don't work in marketing and communications. Um, 
I my role is a little interesting because it's marketing communications and strategy. So working with the data and the data people really is the strategy part of my <laughs> job. Um, and so we all work collaboratively um, because then we can build different dashboards to make it easier. If there are people who really want to see their week by week breakdown of data, we can put up like we can create a dashboard that makes that easier for them. So that's just a couple clicks away. Um, so yeah, I mean, we're just at the very beginning phases of that. So it's hard for me to say, yes, they're going to put out a paper monthly report because I'm really interested to hear what that person coming into the position thinks is going to be best and well-served at branches. The person coming into that position is a former branch manager. So they've been Mm -hmm. in that seat before. So I'm really interested in their feedback to see what they think is going to work best for their colleagues. All right. Well, I'm I'm curious about the campaigns that you run. Uh, it sounds like you use the same material and branding um, across all the different formats and platforms that you're using. Do you only do it for a month at a time, or does it depend on the certain like message that you're giving? So, like back to school, obviously, is probably only like one or two months. Sure. It's, um, it depends on what the campaign is. Right now we're running a campaign we call the Money Saver Campaign. Um, so essentially what we did was we took our magazine and we made it, um, we've got all of these ads in it that tell mm. people how um, you can save money with the library. And it is not just a like, hey, you can stream movies. It's a Netflix costs $16.99 a month, or you can use Canopy and Hoopla. So it's these like direct comparison ads. And so we did that throughout. We started it in our magazine. We've taken out a full page ad in the Baltimore Sun newspaper, a full Mm. page ad in Baltimore magazine. We've done um, social media ads that look the same. We've sent emails that look the same. The emails that we've sent out and like everything's targeted. So we are not yes. sending, I don't have kids. I'm not getting an email that tells me all the kids resources, mm-hmm. right? I download books on my Kindle. So I am getting all of the um, comparisons that say a book on Amazon costs you $15. You can get it for free at the library. You can stream for free, like those type of things. So all of the messaging is tailored. So in maybe one campaign like this, we're probably sending 15 different emails that look the same, but the content is different and it's tailor-made for who we're sending it to. I will say we are getting some of the open rate um, numbers back and our open rates go up to 43% on some Ooh. of these So nearly half of the people that receive that email are opening it, which is a pretty wild number when you look at like (laughs) general open rates are about 12%. So 43 is pretty bonkers. Um, So we built out that campaign. That's something that we'll probably do for a longer period of time because we're seeing the level of success with it. Um, Mm -hmm. We're seeing a ton of feedback with it. We have these big picture windows in the front of our central library that we do advertising with. So we've done a bunch of those using this campaign. Um, So yeah, it's been incredibly successful. So we'll probably run that just a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Other campaigns, like you're saying, kind of um, lend itself to the time frame. So we relaunched our summer program during uh, COVID. We basically scrapped our summer program and we built it from scratch. Um, oh. So now it's called, yeah, so now it's called Summer Break Baltimore. And we 
we're trying to figure out during a pandemic what people might be interested in. Yes. <laughs> they didn't want to come in the door. So we kind of were thinking about how people were so excited to get like subscription boxes at your house. So we thought, why can't we put like summer break in a box for people? Ooh. So a couple of years ago, well, I guess this is our second year. So last year we started doing these boxes and it's June, July, and August. You get three different boxes. And when you sign up, you immediately get a box. And this year, I think the box had like a t-shirt, a prize, a schedule of events, and a book, a free book. And you got to pick. So last year you got to pick whatever genre you wanted. So mm. if you said my genre is romance, then you would get a book that was from that genre. This year we did big book menus. Ooh. And so you got to pick exactly which free book that you wanted to keep. And so they get a box in June, July, and August. So three different boxes, three different um, sets of prizes. People got so excited. We had last year the highest number of participants for summer programming in the entire state of Maryland. Um, and this year we beat our participant rate by like, I don't even think they're finished counting. I think we have three, <laughs> I think we had 3,000 more people this year than we had last year. That's fantastic. Um, Congrats. Thank you. And we do a really, um, that's a huge three month campaign that we really focus on. And that involves like a television commercial, which normally we can't necessarily afford, but we build in marketing money into that programming budget. Mm -hmm. So instead of saying like, here's your marketing money for the year, we say for summer break Baltimore, we know we need to market this more. So the line item, there's a line item in the budget for that program for marketing and all that money's earmarked just for that. So that helps because I know a lot of us wind up, you know, you take money from here, you take money from there. And then yes. by the time summer hits, you're like, oh gosh, I, where's the, where'd the money go? My so budget's gone. That, <laughs> we've found that to be helpful is that if there are big, big programs that you know, you're going to need money to market, just build it in. And that way it can't get like essentially taken by another program. So uh, out of curiosity, um, I'm wondering, and this probably isn't in your department, um, but do you ever fundraise to specifically fund uh, any campaigns that you know you're going to have that are going to be big? So we, uh, we're a unique library system in that we have to fundraise for every last dime of every program and every, like every single, all of my marketing money, every last bit of it is fundraised money. We do not have any city or state money that pays for marketing. Oh, wow. Um, we raise millions every single year just to maintain what we do. So we have a department of institutional advancement that, mm. that focuses just on fundraising and getting grants. Um, and that is because the money that we get from the city and the state pay the employees and keep the lights on. Yes. And sometimes the lights go off. So, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's really all that it pays for. So we always say kind of everything that makes the Pratt the Pratt comes in through private funding. So all of our author events, all of the major programs that we run, every single dime of Summer Break Baltimore is private money. It's none of it's public money. Um, so it is a huge lift for our um, development department to raise all of that money. And like I said, every single dime of my marketing budget comes from privately fundraised dollars. 
That's incredible. So then are you responsible for the um, thank, thank you messages that go out to the donors? We're responsible for that. We're also responsible for, I mean, they do a lot of recruitment. We have philanthropy groups as well. Um, so we have the Pratt Contemporaries, which is our young professionals group. We throw a gala for them every year that is known to be the hottest ticket in Baltimore. Mm -hmm. And so to get that ticket, you generally have to join the group. And that group has like tiered monetary levels of support for the library. Um, we have the Pratt Society, which is sort of your traditional donor base, um, sort of a little bit older clientele. And then we wanted a group of um, that bridges those two because we were finding mm -hmm. the Pratt contemporaries didn't necessarily want to join the Pratt Society after. So we have something called the Pratt Insiders, which is kind of the bridging the gap between those two groups. But all of the groups have special events all the time. So, for instance, just this week, the Pratt Society had an event with, we had Beth Macy who wrote Dope Sick. Um, she oh, was wow. here on Monday and our donors had a special reception with her prior to the public author event. Ooh, that's so fantastic. all of our donor groups sort of get special access to different things. And the, those are sometimes things outside of the library. We might do a program at like a brand new brewery that hasn't opened yet. And you get an inside look at it and we'll do a happy hour there. So we, we kind of partner with a lot of the businesses around here to help us with that. Um, and then we do a lot of events here in the library. On top of that, we do have like that, that brings in a small portion of our um, donor funding. And then we have a lot of individual donors that donate for very specific programs. Um, mm. So for us, it's really about being able to show the success of some of those programs. It's very okay. helpful. So for instance, Dell Technologies just donated a thousand laptops to us to give out to the public, like not wow. to give permanently to Baltimore City School students. And so my team, you know, obviously it's not my team that handles what that looks, what that distribution looks like. Yes. But we did them in the community and we did one at a boxing gym. And so my team went and we filmed at the boxing gym and we talked to some of the students and then we put together a, like an impact piece. Oh, wow. And so then that piece can be used to show other donors the impact that they're making if they want to donate to help with like teens that are disconnected in the community. So we sort of are able to tell that story. And in that way, it helps with our, um, with our fundraising. We also, I mean, during the pandemic, we have a gala for our Pratt Society members, um, which is a big moneymaker for us and obviously couldn't do that during the pandemic. So instead, my team produced a 45 minute documentary about the oh. life, everything we'd done this year. Um, and we aired it live on Zoom and people were able to join that way and donate to the library that way. So we do things like that. We're always involved in fundraising in that way and more of a telling the story. Um, but yes, that was a heavy lift. So now whenever we do videos, I tell my photographer like, well, it's not 45 minutes, so it'll be easier than what we've done before. <laughs> Yeah, I'm curious about this video. Um, did you have to hire someone who knew how to do film or did you so, basically just do it yourselves? We are very fortunate in that my background is television news and we have a full-time photographer videographer in my shop 
whose background is also television news. We actually used to compete. He worked for the NBC station. I worked for the CBS station. Oh, so wow. we cover <laughs> stories at the same time together. And so the two of us were able to do all of that um, on our own. That was one of the big pushes I had for getting that position that we never had one of these before, like a photographer, mm. videographer position, but we would have to spend so much money with a production company yes. to do the amount of video that we do. So even when I talk about like doing television commercials, we produce our own television commercials, all of ourselves in-house. So all I have to do is buy the ad time. Yeah. Um so we produce all of our own social media, but anything that's video content. And he does still photography too. So he's done all of the photography for our new website. And I mean, that's something you would have paid. We probably would have paid hundreds of thousands of dollars over yes. the course of gaps. Yeah. So the fact that we can do it in-house is it's kind of one of our special skill sets because he and I both are just really well-versed in, in television production. And it's funny. I said, we kind of speak a different language with it. And so people will be like walking by us and be like, I don't even know what they're talking about. But we have all of our videos are on our YouTube page at Pratt Library. So people can see what those look like. Yeah, um, the different skill set sounds like it It really helps inform, you know, telling the story of the library as a whole. And I mean, what, do you, what would you recommend to uh, another marketing department at another library or maybe one person who's in charge of marketing and communications for their smaller library? Mm-hmm. I mean, I do think it's all about being able to tell your story and tell the impact that you make. Um And you can do that through so many different ways. I mean, and you don't have to spend money to do it, right? You can have your social media, you can do blog posts, you can have different people throughout your library system, um, write about what the library means to them. Right now, we have a piece that is in our magazine that's called Pratt Journey. And we ask different people around the community to write what the library has meant to them. Um, and we found that to be really impactful. So there's a lot of things that you can do that don't require money. Uh, but I think it's really important to be able to tell your library story. And I think it's very different than saying, um, hey, we have career online high school. Yeah. Sure, you can do that. But what hits home is when I'm telling you the story of a young man who just this week we posted his story on social media and he was able to graduate from career online high school because he wanted to go to culinary school and he was told that he didn't have a high school diploma and no place would accept him. And so he came to the library. He was able for free to get his career online high school graduate certificate. He posed very happily with his graduate certificate uh, with his um diploma in the library and now he's signed up for culinary school and he's really excited to go and so I feel like those are the stories that people say oh he did it I think maybe yeah. I can do it rather than just seeing a straight up ad that says here's for online high school I think just finding those nuggets of stories and I think you'll find them within your staff I think staff are the ones that can identify the people that the library means the most to so staff is always going to be um your top source for being able to tell the story of the library. Honestly, it's really funny that um, that young man, re- he showed up to one of our library branches because he wanted to print his diploma. And the librarian asked, what are you printing? And he told her, oh, I graduated from career online high school, blah, blah, blah. And so she was like, I have to take your picture. I'm so excited for you. So, otherwise, we might not have known 
his story, she was just talking to him and then, and then took his picture. We have like, depending on where you are, we have 22 locations and my team can't be in 22 locations. Yes. (laughs) So we have started a social media ambassadors program and we ask like one person in each of our library branches to be the social media ambassador and just snap photos of the things that are going on in their branches. And so every single month, our social media manager will send out an email and say, hey, September is library card sign up month. So if you're signing up people for library cards, see if you can take their picture posing with their library card or, you know, it's band books month. Maybe um, you can take a picture of staff members with their favorite band books and, um, you know, stuff like that. And that is how we get all of our social media content from 22 locations because they are submitting all of this content to us from their locations and essentially telling their branch's story. So do you then spotlight each branch or do you combine the branch submissions into one post? So we we spotlight each branch. Um, we will, one of the um, criticisms I had heard when I first came into this position was that all of the posts on our social media, we only have one account. We don't have accounts for every single branch. It's one, like, one account for the entire system and people were saying oh well it only looks like the central library nothing else exists so that's why we started this program so that we could have content from all of the different libraries the other thing we started years ago and we're starting back up is something we call takeover tuesday and once a month we have a branch take over all of our social media channels and when i say take over i know like marketing people go no, like, so I'll say we don't, they don't post individually. What we do is the marketing department goes into that branch or that um, department and we will work with them to take pictures to, and ask them to send us their pictures and we will schedule them to go out throughout the day so that all okay. of the content on all of our social media channels comes from that specific branch location Um, so, I mean, it's a neat thing. People really like to see it. There are certain things that have really high engagement that for the life of me, I can't understand, but it's great (laughs) at closing time. Every single time we do a boomerang of all of the staff waving to the camera and saying like, good night, because it's closing time. People love it, but it gets so much engagement and it's literally just a boomerang of people waving. (laughs) And what is a boomerang, um, for people who don't know? Sure. It's just a, like, it's a short video that loops. So there's an app on your cell phone. And instead of taking a picture, you would kind of hit the picture. Um, you, you would hit the button you'd take to take the picture. And it takes like basically a five second video. And then it plays it again and again and again. So it would show some the, them waving like consistently. Um, so yeah, I mean, people love it. A lot of times we're using a lot of Instagram reels now. Um, that is one of the ways we're doing Takeover Tuesday. We used to do like a big video at the branch and put it on YouTube. We didn't find that engagement's high and people are mm. so into Instagram stories and Instagram reels now. So we, instead of doing like a big super produced video, we're just doing little video clips inside the branch of different things. So we did one reel um our last takeover Tuesday, that was our branch manager at one of our branches showing our steam to go kits. 
and just so going cool. through the kit and showing what it was, but it also shows off her, it shows the branch, it shows her personality. Um, and honestly, for us, it's actually a lot easier than doing a fully produced video. So it's not that much time, especially if you are, you've got a much smaller department. It, we usually shoot it all in an afternoon and we schedule everything to go out. So it's all sort of pre-planned and the branch gets excited, you know, it builds morale. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a fun little program. We had to stop during COVID, but we just started back up last month. Yeah. It sounds like a lot of fun. I kind of want to come and work with you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm curious, do you ever have social media influencers collaborate with the library? We did. um, Yes, we do on certain events. So for throwing certain events, we do like a gal pals book club and we have Mm. one of our local social media influencers who really runs it and promotes it. And we host it in the library. Um, one thing we did do, so a few years ago, we opened, reopened our central library after a $115 million renovation. Oh, wow. The building I'm in now, it's an eight-story building, four floors below ground and four floors above. So it's just a giant building. And it's historic. It opened in 1931. And this was the first major renovation of this building. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was huge. And we stayed open throughout the renovation. So when I say it's reopening, it's kind of like not exactly the right phrase. But yeah. it was a huge from the second I walked in the door in 2017, people were talking about the reopening. And how it was a huge pressure point that we had to make like a huge splash when we reopened. And so that was a giant marketing campaign we did. And it was one of our first campaigns that we really hyper-targeted different groups because it was hard because you ask like, who do you want to come to the central library opening? Well, everyone. Well, if you're marketing to everyone, you're just marketing to no one. So that doesn't really work. So my team and I sat down and we just wrote out every kind of group of any person that we wanted to come to the library. So families, and we had a whole marketing strategy for families and we marketed in different publications for families. And then we wanted people who were really into architecture. And so we Mm. marketed to those people in a completely different way. So one of the things that we did was we provided a, um, the night before the big, so we did a block party for the library opening. We closed down the street in front of the library and we did a giant open house and block party. Oh my gosh, how exciting. It was exciting, but also terrifying. A lot of work. (laughs) Well, it's like, are you going to throw a party and have no one show up? You know, that's what you worry about. And we had a big stage in the middle of the street and we had different, we have like throughout this building, we have probably like five different performance spaces and we had different stuff going on in every single one of them all day long. So it was just a wild endeavor. And so there was a lot of pressure to get people there. So the (laughs) night before we welcomed um, social media influencers that we handpicked to Mm. do a private tour of the new library. And so I led them on a tour of the library. We gave them swag and then they posted. The deal was if we did this with them and it was like sort of a cocktail party situation. And if we did this with them, then they would post about the event the next day and try and drive people to the event the next day. That night, we were also doing a big cocktail party for our Pratt contemporaries. Mm -hmm. So the social media influencers got a private tour. They got to go on, like, we have a big roof deck that's only open to the staff. Um, It's not really open to the public. 
So we took them, then we took them all down into the stacks underground. We took them all places that the public doesn't get to go. And then after we brought them to the cocktail party with the Pratt Contemporaries. And so that's one way that we use social media influencers to try and drive people to that major event. Um, we were sort of hoping for maybe 3,000 people to come to that event and door count on that day, we hit close to 10,000. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> it was the pictures to get in. We wound up, we were very fortunate to win the John Cotton Dean Award for that campaign. I'm, this is, I feel like a braggadocious to say it, but we started our marketing department five years ago from like, we didn't have a marketing department. And in the past five years, we've won the John Cotton Dana three times. So oh my goodness, congratulations. Thank you. I'm just really proud of my team because my team yes. works so darn hard. And I try and tell them like, you guys are some of the best in the nation at this, literally look. So, <laughs> but um, that was a wild day. I mean, we cut the ribbon to the library and I remember standing in front of the library and the entire city block was filled with people. It took 20 minutes to get everyone inside the building. I actually had to run around the back and go in the staff door because I couldn't <laughs> get the front door. It's like best problem ever to have. <laughs> that is totally. So um, you mentioned the John Cotton Award. Could you explain what that is? Sure. The John Cotton Dana Award is given by EBSCO. Um, and it's given out at the American Library Association every year. And it is for excellence in library public relations. Um, usually there's about six or seven winners. And I think that's just because there's all different sized libraries. So any size library can win it. Um, and there, I think you apply sometime around March. And then the winners are given out in June at the American Library Association conference. Um, and it's really for any major public relations or marketing campaign um, that is considered excellent. There is a um, panel of basically your peers that judge all of the entries that come in and then the winners are selected from that. So it is considered like one of the most prestigious national awards in library marketing. So um, I always encourage everyone to, to put in an application. Um, but yes, we've been really blessed to win it uh, several times the past few years. So what do you think the secret sauce is to your marketing efforts and, and how you've been able to win the award three times? I think it's it's a learning experience. It's kind of funny. I was somebody asked me. I have to do a presentation next week on all of our John Cotton Dana um, submissions, and it's it's interesting to see when we won like four years ago versus what we're doing today. How we won this? We just won for Summer Break Baltimore this past year. Um, Congratulations! I, thank you. I think it's always what you've learned along the way. Like when I look at our first campaign, we won when we went fine free. Um, and I don't know that we did anything super sophisticated there. We did hold a block party and a celebration for fine free. Cause we thought it should be a community wide celebration for something like that. So we did do things that were interesting. Now I, you know, you live and you learn. I market very differently than I marketed four or five years ago. I've also learned from all of the people in this field. I have people that I have on speed dial, like Chris in Jacksonville Public Library, Angela Hirsch, like, oh, yes, I, she's up in Ohio. Um, 
I mean, like I can email and call those people all the time and say like, Hey, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? Like, Hey, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? And <laughs> the field is so welcoming. Um, I go oh, to a yes. marketing conference most years. And that's the thing, like there is no competition, you know, we're not competing <laughs> for the same people and we're all in the same boat. Yes. Uh, so I think just having that really supportive community is helpful. Um, when it comes to like the submission, honestly, I, I don't know what the secret sauce is necessarily, <laughs> how to, how to win one. I think, um, we take a really hard look at the data, um, and how our campaign moved the data points. So mm. I think I did a presentation one year called don't bring me anything that doesn't have data. And I think a lot <laughs> of the things that we do at the library that are really impactful and meaningful can be frustrating because there is not a data point associated with it. And so I think trying to really figure out how do you quantify something? How do you turn something into a data point um, is really essential. Um, but it's difficult, right? So yes. we're, we do all of these social programs that are just amazing, but I'm never going to ask somebody coming a social worker in the library to swipe their library card so I can get a count of them doing it, right? Like that's never yeah. going to be a thing. So we're it's something we struggle with. I think it's something all of us struggle with, but one of the things I would say in all three of our um, entries for that, we were able to show clear data points. So when we went find free, I was able to say we unblocked 13,000 cards that had been blocked. Oh, I fantastic. Mapped, I mapped those cards and they were all in our most vulnerable communities that would need oh, the wow. library the most. Um, and nationally, that's sort of the trend, right? You're blocked library cards and people can't afford to pay their fines generally are in your most vulnerable areas. Um, so we just were able to use our data to prove that that was the case. And honestly, it also helped us because you did get like lawmakers every now and then saying, hey, we shouldn't waive fines. What are we doing? Teaching people, not teaching people responsibility. And you'd be able to say, well, there's 13,000 people, including 6,000 children in our most vulnerable communities that can't take out library books because their parents can't afford, have to choose between putting food on the table or and paying, paying their, their fine. fine. And when you put it like that with people, they suddenly jump on board with find free pretty quickly because you have the hard data points to prove it. I think with other things too, like with the central library opening, we were able to show obviously the amount of people that were there on the day, but also the amount of new library card holders we had. We had a line wrapped around just for people to sign up for new library cards, which did my heart good. Yes. <laughs> um, and then summer break Baltimore, again, like we finished out that year, the first year with the highest summer break, highest summer reading programs in the state and the highest that we had seen in like five to six years at least in the data points. So I think being able to quantify it at the end for something like that in the awards category makes it a little bit easier because I think there are so many great things we do that we can't quite quantify. Do you, so then would you recommend, do you think branding really plays a huge part into how you present the, the information or the message? Like you, you're not doing the typical summer reading program. You're not just calling it summer reading program, which is what, I think most libraries probably do. You're calling it summer break 
Baltimore. So um, would you would you recommend that branding instead, you know, going beyond what the what the common thing is to do? See, I, I it's hard because I have two answers for that. So I am a firm believer of calling a spade a spade. So I like I think in library world, we tend to get like really excited about cute names for things, but then sometimes <laughs> people just don't understand. Like if yes. your summer reading program is a summer reading program, then just call it a summer reading program. So for us, we wanted something that was beyond reading that you could log activities, you could log this, you could log that. And so we kind of wanted to move away from saying just reading. Mm-hmm. Um, we had, it had been branded a couple times, a couple different things. And so when we went and we sat down and really thought about what is something, cause like you want something that sounds fun, right? Yeah. I'm going to do it in the summer. I really want it to be something fun. And we think the program that we've come up with is really fun. So what's a fun name that we can then use across the board. So summer break Baltimore, like everyone's excited for summer break. We branded it with Baltimore and then we came up with a logo for it. Here's my other like thing that people hate me for, but that's because I'm the branding person. It's like, (laughs) we have a logo and we let like, that's the logo this year. It's the logo next year. It's the logo the year after, because what I have heard from people is, Oh, is that the same program I did last year? It doesn't look, it doesn't look like it. So we might tweak something slightly, but we're going, so like, we're not going to be the same t-shirt every year, but our summer, um, our summer program is a sun that has sunglasses on it. Like it's a cartoon sun that has sunglasses on it. And we will use that for that program forever because that is going to be the like marker that this is that program. We may change what's around that sun. We might, this year we, we have a big, um, domino sugar sign in the middle of the harbor that's like iconic for Baltimore and so we did summer break Baltimore and made it look like the words were on the on the domino sugar oh, how sign cool. <laughs> so we did stuff like that so that your t-shirt looks cooler and different but yeah I mean I personally believe really hardcore in like branding something and having it look really consistent across the board I'm also like that with a um like if I'm doing like, for instance, this back to school campaign, I'm sending out three postcards, the digital ads look exactly like the postcards and the emails I'm sending look exactly like the postcards because there's all this market data that people have to see things like seven times before they actually register it. So you want them to see something they, they can say, oh, when I'm looking at my phone, I remember I got that postcard in the mail and then they recognize the it. Yeah. And the website that I'm giving them on the postcard, I usually do like a unique URL so I can tell if they are getting, if they're coming from the postcard. So I will do a different URL on it. So that way I can get a better idea if it's somebody who got my postcard that's logging onto our website. And then the web page that we put together will have the same imagery as the postcard. Fantastic. But the consistency so that there is like the same look across the board and people aren't confused by different wording or images. Yeah, we moved away from sort of that, especially in the summer, the collective, like there's always a theme and the um, and then there's collective graphics that a lot of people Mm -hmm. use. I've just found in my short period of time here that that tends to confuse our customers 
because every year it looks different and the graphics look different and they don't realize that it's the same program that we did. So we have not been using, so I think like Ocean's a Possibility, maybe it was the last one. Yes. And so our librarians may have programmed things that were related to that theme, but branding wise, every single flyer that was a summer break flyer had the sun on it and it said summer break Baltimore. And if it had something about oceans of possibilities, that was not the main message. It was that people understood that this was part of this one program that is very uniquely ours. Uh, so I, I realize we have like about 10 minutes left. I want to ask you, do you have a favorite library marketing book or a marketing book in general to share? I know this is like the worst answer ever because <laughs> because I feel like yes I have read a lot of great books probably on marketing in general I just feel like library marketing is such a narrow field mm-hmm. that what I really like to do is just see what other major brands are doing mm-hmm. um and get my ideas from there um I also really heavily rely on the other people in this field. Mm-hmm. I think that that for me is like my source of research and my source of inspiration is kind of getting a kernel of maybe what somebody else did that was slightly successful and how can we double down on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I really do. I take a look at what people in other fields are doing, what other major brands are doing, Um that's kind of how I get some of my ideas. My staff mm-hmm. is also like incredibly creative, incredibly on top of things, always brings up um, their, I mean, the stuff that they're able to do is unbelievable. Um, so I really rely on my team. We really have a lot of brainstorming sessions. Um, so, so yeah, I don't know that there's one book. I think any marketing book is going to give you a current, like I always tell people, there are going to be things that work for you mm-hmm. and then there are going to be things that don't work for you. Anyone who's ever like worked with me, I'll say, this is how I do things. You don't have to do things the way I do things, but you might see one piece of what I do and like that. And then you take that with you and you put it in your bag of tricks and you move on and then you work with somebody else and you find something that they do and you take it and you put it in your bag of tricks. And then eventually you've got your, your method of doing things. Like I said, I do things hundred percent differently than I did them four years ago when I was just getting my feet wet, especially because I don't have a degree in marketing. I don't have an MBA in marketing. And I know a lot of really incredibly smart people do. Um, But yeah, I get a lot of ideas from people around me. My boyfriend has an MBA in marketing, so that helps. Oh, that's (laughs) nice. So you're saying get a boyfriend with the MBA in marketing. (laughs) He gives me a lot of good, but like, I really like to hear about, I really look at other, other industries and see what they're doing and how we can push the bounds of what they're doing or how we can fit that into something that we do here. And it, it it's a difficult, it's, it's a challenge. There are challenges when you don't, it's hard to figure out how to quantify what success looks like when you're giving away things for free. Um, but I would say in the past four years, we've found a lot of different ways to quantify success. Little things that are like just putting a different URL on your postcard so that you can then have your web person look and see how many people typed in that exact website. And then you know that that was 
that came from your postcard. So you can quantify whether that was a successful thing. We also do, everyone's doing QR codes. So we put QR codes on our postcard. I can tell how many people scan that QR code. And so it's just finding different measures of success. And I find that like all the time. We started doing a lot more direct mail because I realized that like during the pandemic, I was just excited when the mailman came because he was like yes. the only person that came to the house. And people are still excited about the mailman coming. So we just started doing more direct mail. We can't afford a lot of direct mail. So how do you cut down on the amount that you're spending? Well, then you figure out you narrow your audience and you tailor your message to those people. So instead of sending a postcard to 100,000 people, I'm sending it to 4,000 people, but I know Mm. who those people are. I know where they live and I have got a pretty good idea of what their family makeup might be. So if I know they probably have kids zero through six, then I'm probably going to advertise story time to them because they're in the right demographic. And I know that they've got a library within X amount of distance from them and that they might not have library cards. And so, I mean, there's a lot more sophisticated ways of doing things than I've done them in the past. Um, Mm -hmm. But yes, I'm, I'm sort of a hound for data and I will have like in our brainstorming sessions, we'll get like a kernel of something or I'll read something or something will arrive in the mail. And I'm like, huh. And I'll save it and think like that might work. We did a big campaign and this is not unique, um, but we did a Black Friday campaign. Oh, so cool. Yeah, and it was fun. It was great. And we did like, you know, everything's free all the time. Like, <laughs> And, you know, was it a success? You just wanted people to talk, you know. So there are certain goals for certain things. Like I knew that we that was just going to be a talker. But, you know, that there's a time and place for that. So, so yeah, I mean, I think library marketing is so fun. You can try different things and you can see what other people are doing. So like my first year, I just looked for the organizations that were doing something cool and innovative. And I thought, how can I mimic what these people are doing? Um, And that's kind of where we started is I would follow different libraries that I really respected that I thought were changing the game. Um, and it's nice because what I'll say is like now, years later, I'm friends with a lot of the people that work at those libraries. Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) So, so yeah, I mean, I think just taking inspiration from other people is always. I love that because we tend to borrow or steal, you know, ideas from other libraries all the time. So why not get inspiration from other libraries to do your own marketing? (laughs) And I don't think anybody, like, I don't think I've ever seen somebody do anything that I was like, hey, that was my idea. Like nobody, we're all working towards the greater good, right? I tell my team all the time, we get to come in the door and our job is to help people. And it doesn't really matter what cog you are in the wheel of helping people. Like there's just not a lot of people that get to walk into their job every day and have a sole mission of just trying to help other people. Yes, it's pretty awesome to to be in this position. (laughs) It really is. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you taking an hour out of your day to talk with me. And I've learned so much and I love all the helpful uh, tips that you've shared. And so just thank you so much. Of course, this was fun. I always like talking library marketing with a fellow library marketer. (laughs) 
Oh, yes. <laughs> I don't have a degree in marketing either. So just try to figure it out as a go. <laughs> you know what? You learn as you go. And I think, you know, I, I don't think you need it. I think if you're inspired um, and you want to help people and you're a part of the community that is really um, inspiring and also just willing to open their arms and say, if you need help, we're all here. And I have really found that in the library marketing community. Oh, yes, definitely. I, I've had um, Chris and uh, and Mark say, um, hey, contact so-and-so and contact so-and-so. And I'm like, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's funny because if you have an issue, people are like, oh, my friend over here had this or my friend over here had that. Or if you have random questions about something, like, I email people all the time and just say, hey, can I ask you a question about X, Y, or Z? And everyone's so open and, and helpful. It's, it's a great place to learn. And I think it's kind of funny because like I always tell people um, the library is a place where you can get information. And sometimes that information comes from a book and sometimes it comes from the web and sometimes it comes from a person. And I find <laughs> in this case, I get some of my best information from other people. Yes, I totally agree with that. <laughs> All right, well, thank you so much. And um, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. <laughs> thank you so much. Have a good one. Thank you. You as well. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. I hope it was as helpful for you as it was for me. You can follow this podcast, keep track of new episodes, and find me primarily on RSS and Spotify. Follow me on my website, thelibrarianmarketer.org through WordPress. Take my survey there for planning future episode topics and guests. Or send me questions, constructive feedback, ideas, and anything else at info at It's also in the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. Until next time.